Hello, and welcome to the Life Teacher Podcast. My name is Hector Suko, and here with me today is Brian Taylor. Brian is an author, photographer, and podcaster living in Denver, Colorado. As a polymath, he has spent a lifetime learning and collecting skills and crafts. His latest endeavors are a series of podcasts and videos designed to entertain and help others grow in writing, storytelling, and photography. Having completed four novels, with the fifth and sixth currently in production, Brian has decided to release those novels as powerful audio episodes in podcast format. These dynamic episodes are packed with theatrical soundtracks and sound effects designed to pull the listener into the story. Brian, welcome to the Life Teacher Podcast. How's it going, man? Excellent. Excellent. Go ahead and tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Uh, Yeah. So as you mentioned earlier, I'm a polymath. Uh, I have literally spent a lifetime collecting skill sets. Uh, it's not something that I knew that I was until probably about the past decade. I, I come from Hicktown, Alabama, and uh, basically came from the dirt and uh, have scratched and clawed my way to where I am. Being a polymath has actually helped me retain those experiences and those skill sets that I learned along the way. It's not a short road out of the dirt to where I'm at now. It's, it's a very long road. So you pick up a lot of things along the way. And for listeners who don't know, a polymath is a person of wide ranging knowledge or learning. At what age do you think you started knowing or acknowledging that you were someone that likes to dip their toes into a lot of things? Oh, wow. Actually, I didn't really, I didn't really clue myself into it until I was about 26. When I was a, when I was a kid at home, it was a, you know, it was a very violent household and stepping outside of your bounds or outside of the, the lanes is really frowned upon in a situation like that. But I was an artist from early on. I, I could pick up a pencil and draw just about anything I wanted. It really dawned on me after I had left that household, that environment, and and ventured out into the world of my own. And I began to really dip those toes into different things. I started martial arts. That was my next endeavor. Uh, and I loved it. I picked it up really, really fast. I was very just like addicted to it. We were spending four days a week at the dojo, learning how to toss people on their heads. And then through a really strange turn of events, my my sensei said, you're going to dance for my wife as he tied me in a pretzel. <laughs> um, and uh, his wife taught ballet. And so I started doing ballet with her and that clued me into the world of dance. That led me to doing breakdancing through a very strange twist of fate again. Uh, but it seemed that right about that time was when I was like, okay, I can... I can literally learn anything that I want. The whole world is my oyster. And this is, this is before the internet, mind you. Um, I, the whole world is my oyster. All I have to do is go out and put in the effort and learn. And so that's when I really, you know, turned up the gas and cranked it up to 10 and started trying to learn everything I possibly could. As much as the day would allow for me to learn, that's what I was doing. Brian, you said violent household. Can you go a little bit more into that? Sure, absolutely. Um, it's it's no stranger to anyone that I know that my upbringing was um, was violent and rocky. Uh, that that rocky, violent upbringing was mentally abusive, physically abusive, verbally abusive, emotionally abusive, uh, and essentially. I was stuck with two people that didn't want to be with each other, and they didn't want to have us. And the only reason they stuck around is because they didn't know life any other way, right? So. So as a, um, as a kid, my, my, my real father, my bio father, he ditched us. And then that, that 
left my mother who became bitter and jaded. And we found out later on in life that maybe she had some mental issues that, you know, cause they weren't diagnosing people as bipolar very often back then. Anyway. So, um, so she was bitter and jaded and then she met up with someone else who really put in an honest effort to raise us. But over time he became bitter and jaded too. So it was, um, it was the kind of place to where you don't step out of line uh, at all. And sometimes you don't even have to step out of line. They can get so pissed off, pardon my language, they can get so angry at each other that um, that they get tired of taking it out on each other and then they turn around and take it out on you. So one of the things that that really taught me was you know, to be tough, to be resilient, uh, to understand that just because today sucked tomorrow, the sun is going to come up again. You know, I mean, I, I've, I've, I've had it all, man. I've had like, uh, you know, cracked elbows and, and dislocated joints, choked unconscious, um, you know, head through sheetrock, the whole nine yards. Uh, but every day I woke up, the sun came up and it wasn't until I started making purposeful effort to get out of that situation that I actually did get out of the situation. I had to take actionable steps. And one of those actionable steps was just basically pouring gas on the whole thing, setting it on fire. I mean, I, I really not, not literally, not literally. Um, but you know, there was, um, there was this, uh, there was this line to where the frustration and the anger that everybody would deem acceptable would go to. And then once it crossed that line, everybody was ready to just throw in the towel and walk away. So at that point, I was like, well, let's push it past that line because it can't be any worse than this. And if, 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 if it's going to go, how I think it's going to go, we're going to push it up to that line. They're going to call it quits. They're going to boot me out and I'm going to be on my own. And that's exactly what I wanted. Uh, that was my opportunity, my freedom, my, my chance for escape. So it was really important that we did that, but that, um, that bringing also taught me that upbringing taught me a really good work ethic uh, because it wasn't just like we were sitting around and people were griping at us and complaining and moaning and, and, and cussing at us and throwing things at us. It was very much um, it was a very hard physical labor situation. We had moved to a, a small 18 acre plot of land and uh, and we were clearing that land. And, and when we got the place, you couldn't walk 15 feet in from the road without getting basically stopped dead in your tracks by trees, vines, brush, the whole nine yards. And then by the time that I was out of there, um, half of the, half of the land was essentially pastures. So it was, it was a lot of like chainsaw work, tractor work, you know, swinging a machete, uh, dragon sticks, just, just basically doing everything you can to keep busy because the instant you're not busy, there's someone screaming at you. So in this country, we have certain safety nets and I know that this one in particular is slightly broken, but I don't want to lose 100% faith in it. Did you as a child ever reach out for help? Did any teachers ever notice your bruises? I mean, you, you were, you said you were choked out at one point, did you receive any help from the outside world? Uh, so yes and no. You got to remember this is this is 1980 to 1990 Alabama, backwoods Alabama, right? So there was no internet. There was no you know it, it, kids were meant to be seen and not heard in that particular situation. It didn't matter what household you were in, a good household or a bad household. That's how it worked. So there were a couple of situations to where 
uh, I had a teacher that would try to intervene. Um, and later on in the process, I had a friend and his family that tried to intervene and it never really worked out. There was, there was one situation, um, right as we were reaching that final boiling point, um, to where I had managed to escape. We took it to that boiling point and I thought that that was the breaking point and I got out and I got on my own and I, boom, I was out of the house. And I made the mistake of going back to my high school at that point, uh, the next day, just to kind of continue normal routine because I didn't know anything else, right? Uh, so I went and it turned out that my parents had lied to the... Uh, to the principal about how everything was going. And, and so he basically turned on me like I was the one that was broken. At that point in time, people had no idea how, how things work. So, so anyway, uh, so people did try to help and I had friends that tried to help, uh, but ultimately that was the universe saying that it can get this bad, start going that way forward and you're gonna see it get a lot better. And it did. It really, really did. So, I mean, you know, they say that uh, people have to hit rock bottom, but I started at rock bottom. So when I say I started from the dirt, I started from the dirt. Uh, but, but if I had to look back on my life now, there's no way I would change any of that because every bit of that gave me my fortitude, my work ethic, uh, my ability to take a blow, to be honest with you. Um, I, I can handle some pain. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, but when it's all said and done, it is a very necessary component in this experience that the universe has put me in. So now do people necessarily have to hit rock bottom in order to fulfill their dreams? Oh, absolutely just... not. Absolutely okay. not. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off, but, but no, 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 you do not have to hit rock bottom to fulfill your dreams. You just need to realize that there is a rock bottom right? And you need to be able to appreciate where you are at the moment and weigh that against where you could be and where you want to go. It's, it's very, very important to have context on your current situation. So if you can look at what you have now and you can be grateful for it, right? I woke up this morning. My daughter woke up this morning. My wife woke up this morning. I woke up in my house and I was able to go and work out in my house and get a really good, you know, a, a bench press on, spend an hour on the bike, the whole nine yards. And I didn't have to go anywhere. And that is a thing that a lot of people don't have. I had a, a, a friend over here that was recording and he said to, to the way that he grew up, he grew up in the ghetto. He said the way that he grew up, the way that I live, people would think I'm rich. I'm not, and don't have deep pockets. I've got really empty pockets to be honest with you. But I think it's important that you know where you are so that you can make sure that you are taking steps forward and not slipping backwards because we never know that we're going backwards. We never know we're at the bottom of the barrel until the only thing we can see is up. So it's important to, to assess where you're at, assess what you've got and be grateful, gratitude. And how can one go about figuring out what their dreams are? Dreams are funny. So I have this really interesting philosophy on the world. Um, I'm a firm believer that you are how the universe experiences yourself, right? I'm not a, I'm not a God-fearing man. I'm, I'm not an atheist, though. It's, it's a very contradictory concept, but I, I'm, not a, I'm not a believer in God, but I'm also not a believer in um, uh, you're just here for no reason. I believe that, that we're all here for a purpose. We are how the universe ex experiences itself. And 
once we realize that the universe doesn't waste anything, we can then start to listen and understand that we have a purpose, right? That's the first step is understanding that you do have a purpose. If you can see that, that you're here for something, that you are here for a reason, then all you really have to do is start listening to your heart. What brings you joy? What is it that makes you the happiest? And then chase that, right? And, and I'm not talking about what person makes you the happiest. That's something totally different. I'm talking about like, is it taking pictures? Is it writing stories? Is it building businesses? Is it helping others? Is it feeding the poor? Is it digging ditches in the earth? Is it laying pipe? Is it drilling to the you know, to, to find oil, what is it that makes your heart sing? No matter how hard it is or how easy it is, what is it that makes that happen? And then take that and boil it down to its essence. I love to write. I am a writer, but you know what really makes that work for me is telling stories. And that translates all the way across photography, the stories that I write in the novels I produce, the podcasts that I make. Uh, when I'm teaching my daughter a lesson, I am a storyteller. And that is what I chase. Being a polymath, that is my talent. That helps me accomplish my purpose. But I'm here to tell stories. I'm here to help people learn. I'm here to help people grow. And so if you chase the thing that, that makes your heart sing the most, and boil it down to its essence. That's how you find your dream. That's how you find your purpose. So I'm gonna give you an example and then you probably can take it from there. Let's say average man married two kids and you know, everybody has hobbies, right? And let's say that this guy's hobby is fishing, okay? Fishing brings him joy and he uh, out of a one to 10, he's happy at work at maybe a five or six. What would be your message to him? Find a way to turn fishing into a living, but be careful. So, so this is going to come with some caveats in a minute. There's a, there's a lot of details that are missing there, obviously. Find out what portion of the fishing makes you the happiest, right? But also find out what portion of the fishing is the hardest to accomplish. And that is how you transition that into making a living. For example, um, I can spend... 10 years searching on YouTube and through experience and everything, trying to, trying to figure out this skill of fishing, or I can just go ask the best fisherman I know. And if the best fisherman I know says, pay me $3,000 and I will teach you everything I know, and you will cut 10 years off of your fishing process, I'm going to reach deep into my pockets and I'm going to find a way to create $3,000 if it's that important to me. So your purpose, this thing that you are good at, Whatever it is, whether it's, it's fishing or using a shovel to dig holes in the earth, you can turn that into a living. You can turn that into a dream, into a successful business if you simply find what people are willing to pay for as far as knowledge goes. If you can teach someone, you can shave years off of their life, you can shave heartache and, and distress and struggle off of their life, then you have a viable business, right? So, if that fishing thing is what makes your heart sing, then chase that. Now, I'm not saying run out and quit your job and go chase your, your love. Your, your job is like your angel investor, right? I still have a nine to five I, I, because it provides me with insurance, which I need a lot. More on that later. 
If you write that down, we'll talk about that. That's a fun story. But my job in and of itself, the thing that I do for employment is very interconnected into this thing that I'm here to do, right? It helps me develop my skills. It helps me with funds so I can afford equipment because as you know, computers, podcasting, storytelling, writing, yada, 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 that's not cheap. The better you want to be at it, the more expensive it becomes. Your job is like your angel investor. Don't quit your job. But while you're working your job and getting money from your angel investor to pay your bills, you can use the time to work your passion, your love, your thing that you're good at, your purpose. You can turn that into a living. And that's, that's, that's probably my advice for anyone that is chasing a dream, whether they're nine to five, two kids, got 14 people they're feeding, or whether they're just some guy that's in their 20s and they're trying to figure out what to do with their life. So let's say somebody has a hobby. How would they know if that's their purpose in life? Mm, yeah, I guess that really was the original question, wasn't it? Um, so that's a tough one. Um, you know, lots of people have lots of hobbies and we'll, we'll experience things that we enjoy doing that aren't our purpose. Finding your purpose doesn't have to be your hobby. The best way you can, you can boil it down and say, okay, this is a hobby that I have. Now, how do I find out if this is my purpose? Do you get paid to do it? If you don't and you still enjoy doing it, that's getting close to your purpose. If you do it and you don't get paid to do it and it helps people and that helping people makes you feel better, that's awesome. That's getting closer to your purpose. If if you are a fishing nut and you don't get paid for it and you're helping people and that turns into um, like conservation of this favorite river that you fish at, then that's getting closer to your purpose. You'll notice that if you do this hobby thing, right? If you do this fishing thing and it really is your purpose, whether it's the podcasting, the writing, whatever, we'll use fishing. If everything that flows towards you and at you is related to that fishing thing, that's probably your purpose. But here's another caveat. Sometimes people have more than one purpose. I know for an absolute fact that I was put here to raise my daughter. That's one of my purposes. I know for an absolute fact I was put here to help bring stability to my life and my wife's life. That's my purpose. But teaching is my purpose as well. You know, um, um, inspiring. That's my purpose. Uh, telling stories. That's my purpose. We have more than one purpose. So, so don't be fooled into thinking that, you know, I have this hobby and everything that I do revolves around that hobby. So that can only be my only purpose. You can have more than one purpose and, and we can have different purposes at different stages in our lives. So for example, if we, if we start out and we inspire others in fishing and for some reason we break both of our legs and we can no longer make it down to the river, then maybe our next purpose is to, to help inspire people about being a, a paraplegic. You, know, you get what I'm saying? Uh, let's take Simone Biles, for example. You know what's going on with her in the Olympics. There's a lot of this. There's a lot of that. People say the rules are too hard. People say they're screwing her over. But the short and the sweet of it is this. She came out in the middle of a big, big situation. And she said, my mental state is not here. I'm not ready for that, right? She showed a sense of wisdom that a lot of people her age don't show. I would put money on the table that her next step, her next purpose beyond inspiring young gymnasts is going to be inspiring people to pay attention to their mental health. We can have different purposes at different stages in our lives. I know that my wife 
found extra purpose in her life when her grandmother and grandfather passed. She spent time helping people. That really, that really did a lot for her. But prior to that, she had a lot of purpose there too. She had things that she did that inspired people that helped others. Finding your purpose isn't a, isn't a single one-time adventure. It's not a one-time thing. You can find it in a lot of different places and you can find it in a lot of different times in your life, but pay attention to what flows around your hobbies because you're talented in those areas for a reason. I'm going to challenge you a little bit. Sure. You said I was placed to raise my daughter. Who placed you? I don't know. That's not really a challenge for me. I'm, I don't believe in this human version of God that we've created in any facet, no matter what the religious sect is, right? Whether, whether it's, it's Buddhism or Christianity or Catholicism or whatever. It just, something about it doesn't click for me. Like I said earlier, we are how the universe experiences itself. That's my belief system, right? Uh, I think that if you want to say God, and if we had to put God on the same, if we're talking about the same thing, we're putting on the same level, you're talking about a God that is omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, which is mean everywhere, everywhere at once, sees all, knows all, is all, right? That sounds a lot like the freaking universe to me (laughs) Um, because it literally is everywhere and everything in it is here for a purpose. So as far as being placed, I can't set that on a God and say, man, my God put me here for this purpose. It is something that all things in my life flow back towards. It is something that I cannot screw up. It is something that no matter how hard it gets, I I can't stop doing it. And and I mean, I I could, I could, I could be like my dad. I could just bounce the F out. But I have a sneaky feeling that my daughter is going to be another human being like me. She's already showing signs of polymath. So I think I'm here to make sure that she achieves the greatness she's put here to do. Do you believe in the law of attraction? It's kind of tough. Um, the law of attraction is, it's a great concept in my opinion. It's a very, very, very powerful way to, to show people this one thing. Where attention goes, energy follows. You can call it the law of attraction. You can call it uh, working hard and grinding on your goals. You can call it uh, stroke of fate, stroke of luck. You can call it whatever, right? But if you hang out with a thousand losers, I can tell you what you're going to be. If you hang out with a thousand billionaires, I can tell you what you're going to be. If you put yourself in this mindset of, okay, I'm trying to attract podcast shows to interview me so that I can get my word out, my message out. And I put in the work, then yes, I believe in the law of attraction. But if I just sit in my bedroom and rub my fingers together and listen to to crystals chiming and light a bunch of candles and oh, moment to myself, then no, I don't believe in the law of attraction. I believe anything you want is there if you're willing to put in the work. Period. And if you put in the work, eventually you're going to be there. Hang out with a thousand billionaires. I can tell you what you're going to be. I don't want to stereotype the um, um, um too much. Oh, sure. Yeah. (laughs) But what do you think of meditation and mindfulness and looking inward to find some of the answers that we seek? It's, uh, it's actually funny you should say that. This is an unintended plug here. Uh, so I actually own a meditation company called Empty Cup Meditation. I believe that meditation is incredibly important. It's stupid important. We actually created an app 
called Empty Cup Meditations. You can go and find it on your favorite app store. Uh, and we take a very unique approach to meditation, but I believe that meditation is important. I am not okay with stereotyping the om, 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 om people. We like to call them uh, crunchy Karens. We, we do see this, this, and when I say we, there are a couple other people that I work with in this, this business. It's its own entity, its own LLC. We see this, um, this interesting dynamic going on with meditation, right? And the yoga meditation, the whole, the whole kind of natural, herbalistic, holistic philosophy here in America. I can't speak for outside of the country, but here in America. Basically, that goes like this. You have to fit into a certain stereotype in order to be accepted and for people to believe you know what the hell you're talking about, right? A lot of people will automatically associate the words meditation and yoga with a specific type of person. And that has a downside. Here's what that downside is. I'm a guy with a ton of tattoos, right? I used to, I did parkour for 16 years. I used to jump off of buildings. I used to do flips over cars. I was a break dancer. I was, I was a martial artist. Sometimes the only way to solve a problem is to break it, right? I don't necessarily fit into the stereotype of I'm going to go get a yoga mat. I'm going to run down to my local yoga studio. I'm going to throw it out there and I'm going to sit in a hot room and do what everybody else does. Meditation is very, very important for people, but because of the bad connotations and stereotypes that were associated with it, you would turn people like me off from that. I, I just wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole because that's not me. That's not how I do it. That's not what I want to do with my time. So what we did was we found a way to flip that on its head. We said, what are these meditative goals that you need to accomplish? And we started ticking them off. And then we said, well, can we wrap that in a story, right? That you are the star of. So we took this, this concept of not telling your mind to shut down, not telling your brain to be quiet, but instead shaking hands with your imagination going, okay, let's do this. So what happens in the process is you, you get to experience this story that you are the star of and you are hitting meditative goals all along the way. And the payoff at the end, because we're working with your imagination and and we're backing it with theatrical soundtracks and sound effects and, and a whole storyline, we are delivering maximum impact. And we have been able to grab a hold of metalheads. We've been able to grab a hold of cowgirls. We've been able to grab a hold of, of uh, average Joes, frat boys. So the, the whole nine yards is there. So yes, the om, om, om people kind of get a little bit of flack from me, <laughs> but not in a serious way and not, not in a way to be negative towards them, more in a way to make them understand that, hey, um, there's other ways to do this. You are not the only one with the right way. You know, the universe didn't come down and hand you a script and say, this is the only way to do it. Let's be a little bit clear here. The actual ohm in meditation is to vibrate your lips to the point where your central nervous system gets a massage. Correct. Yes, absolutely correct. There's no disagreement there on that. But we do also have to, to look at the, the connotations and the thoughts that have come with that because of how it is portrayed here. It's not, we actually utilize sound from you in our meditation. So, so, so it's a lesson that you learn while you're in our meditation set, but it's, it's designed from our side to make sure that we're, we're informing other people that might not be keen on that concept, that this is a great way to do things. 
And the stereotype that you are alluding to is can be seen in the movie Zootopia. Have you seen that movie? I have. Oh, and, man, I have. Got and, a daughter. I've seen it about 100 times. <laughs> and there's a stereotypical scene in which the investigators go to this meditation practice and you see all the animals in their nude self and there's just they're meditating they have their their arms out and so that's what you're talking about right Mm -hmm. yeah very much so we actually used a a, a, an advertisement uh that was that was very much along those lines you don't have to hold your thing you know you don't have to sit like this you don't have to hold your fingers like this even though we know the purpose of it in that genre of meditation you don't have to hold your fingers like this you don't have to do all these things because that's not really what meditation is about we don't make those statements haphazardly. It's, uh, it's, it's very much designed to target a specific type of audience. But yes, that scene in Zootopia is classic. It is very much classic of what Americans think meditation is about uh, or what they think that uh, getting Zen is about. But let's, let's be just like straight up honest. You can't fight five to 10,000 years of practice and science. It just, you can't, it works. It works. So you truly believe that if someone is getting messages from the universe, if somebody is taking what they love to do and they want to take it to the next step is to definitely follow their dreams. You also, and and I did ask you about the law of attraction. Now, let me ask you this. Do you believe in vision boards? Uh, Vision boards are awesome. I use vision boards for a number of different things. Um, the main thing that I use vision boards for is not my life, believe it or not. Uh, I have so many stories and so many things going on. I currently produce four, four podcasts, two of which are live and the other two are coming out in the next couple of weeks. I'm writing books, the whole nine yards. So most of my vision boards are to keep me on track with the projects that I have. Now, law of attraction. We said that I personally don't believe in it unless you're working for it. But if you're sitting on the couch, wishing and praying it's never going to happen. When it comes to vision boards, that's kind of another step in the law of attraction. Remember how I said earlier, if I put you around a thousand billionaires, I can tell you what you're going to be. Um, It's kind of the same thing. It's not as intense, but it's kind of the same thing. Keeping an eye on the prize, keeping an eye on the goal, keeping an eye on where you want to go or which direction you need to be heading is very vital for the success of a human being. Whether, whether that success is I'm just trying to make it to tomorrow or whether that success is, is I'm trying to take my company to a million dollar business. Having that constant vision, adding to it, taking things off as you accomplish them. Think of it like a checklist almost, you know? If you have the best boat in the world and you don't know where you're going, that thing will just sail around in the ocean just forever. But if you have definitive, definitive direction, then you can kind of steer it to where you're going. But I think that the caveat that needs to be added on top of that is that your vision board is a, is a essentially an imagery of what you want or what you're looking for, but you need to, to remind yourself that those things are the product of what you are doing, right? So do you want to be able to go on vacation all the time, or do you want the freedom that having the money brings you so that if you want to go on vacation all the time, you can, right? So it's not about the vacation. It's about earning the money. And it's not about the money. It's about the freedom the money brings, right? It is very much like that with any of the things on your vision board. Is it really that specific thing you want? And if it is, that's fine. Go for it. No problem. But if it is not, 
if that's just a byproduct of your attaining a certain status or reaching a certain goal, then you need to understand that you're chasing the goal and not the boat. You're chasing the goal and not the mansion. You're chasing the goal and not the vacation because those are byproducts of the goal. And you said, if you're, if you're hanging out with a thousand billionaires, I can tell you who you're going to be. Let's be honest. I, I think billionaires, it would be nice, even millionaires. But if you, if none of your friends, if none of your family members, if none of your coworkers are quote unquote millionaires or rich, where can you find to hang around people who are making that amount of money in order to understand their world and understand how they got there? Sure. I got, uh, I got two quotes for you. Uh, so the first one is going to be from Les Brown. And uh, he said it like this. He said, I used to be so broke that I would walk past the bank and trip the alarm. I understand being that broke. He also said that, and this is not him saying this, but this is where I heard this quote, is that, you know, if you are the product of, of everyone in your environment, right? So what he said was, he said, you know, I, I, once I found out you're as broke as the brokest people around you, I started ditching all my broke friends. And you can't get rid of family. You can't get rid of friends. It's a proverbial saying, right? Um, but what you can do is you can stop listening to that mindset. So if you've got broke friends, don't be like your broke friends. You ain't got to get rid of your broke friends, but you got to see what keeps them broke. Because if you're looking at your broke friends and you don't see what keeps them broke, then I guarantee you it's the same thing keeping you broke right? And, or from achieving your goal. So the second one comes from Tony Robbins, success leaves clues. So even if you don't know millionaires or billionaires or people with uh, a couple hundred thousand dollars in their bank account, then you can always read books, see what they've done before. You can look at the ways that people have made their fortunes or achieve their goals or so on and so forth. And you can mimic that. But if you, if you mimic broke people, you're going to be broke. If you mimic broken people, and I'm tapping on my head here, people that are emotionally broken or socially broken or, or, or broken with relationships, if you mimic that, then that's what you're going to be. But if you legitimately, with every fiber of your being, if you honestly chase after what you want and you found people that have also accomplished that goal and you follow in those footsteps, you have a very high chance for success. Does it mean you're going to always succeed? Absolutely not. We are here to fall flat on our faces. That's how we learn. But if you keep chasing that path, you're either A, going to find a way to get to that goal or B, you're going to find a better way to get to that goal. It's not always about your environment. You know, I say the thousand billionaires, you'll be a billionaire, a thousand broke people, you'll be a broke person just to kind of get that concept across that, that you can't do what everyone else is doing. So if you are surrounded by those people, then you either A, need to change who those people are, or B, you need to change how you view those people and your situation with them. What are your thoughts on joining mastermind groups? I'm kind of torn on mastermind groups, to be honest with you. I have joined a number of mastermind groups where people are, you know, they're encouraging each other. They're giving information to one another. They're holding each other accountable. And if you have good people in your mastermind group and it's a small mastermind group, dude, it's fan freaking tastic. But so often we get these gurus online. They want to build a mastermind group and there's 
14,000 people in the Facebook group. And there's certain rules about how you post. And if you post the wrong thing, you'll get kicked out of the group. And then you got 1,400 people in that 14,000 people group that are real assholes, pardon my language, uh, that will not tell you how to do something right. They will only tell you how to do something wrong. So I think that mastermind groups are fantastic, provided they are small provided the people in them are authentic and they are willing to contribute. And some people have this incredible group of people that will help you achieve all of your goals. And they have found a way to monetize that. And to them, I say, high five, more power to you. I'm probably not going to pay the money, but somebody else might, right? Um, but then you also find the people that are selling fake potential, fake mastermind groups, and they're charging a lot of money. So, so if you're going to jump into a mastermind group, I think it's very, very important that you do your homework. Any mastermind group worth its salt is going to put the proof before the pudding, right? They're, they're going to set it out there. They're going to show you, this is what we've done. This is what we've accomplished. You can literally go and talk to this person and this person and this person and, and get real results. Don't just read this fake review online. You can here, here, here's their numbers. Here's their emails. Here's their profiles, everything. Go check it out. See if it's worth it. But a good way you can find out that you're getting into a bad mastermind group is if those things are not made available to you. So I love mastermind groups. They can help you grow a lot. Just be weary of them and do your homework. Do your homework. Very important. And if somebody does want to take the leap and does want to quit their nine to five to focus on their hobby and make it a business, an online business, et cetera, how much or for how long should they save for their monthly expenses to make sure that everything is in place? Would you say six months, 12, 18 months? What would you say? That's a tough question. Okay. So I, I got your answer for you here. If you're in my situation, you save for a year, period. Why? Because I am, I'm a realist. <laughs> I'm a very practical person. I understand that we fall down we may have high expectations. We may have goals. We may not achieve them. I could walk out of here and, you know, have a heart attack, which is back to that conversation that we need to have about insurance. But I could walk out of here and have a heart attack. And all of a sudden, there's no way I can accomplish my goal. There's maybe there is, but I can't do it now. I've got to spend the next six months recovering. And so, yeah, and I quit my job. Well, guess what? Tough luck, right? So for me, a realist, I'm going to put away a year's worth of money, period. Or, or I'm going to change the way that I look at it. I'm going to work my job and I'm going to keep doing this on the side to make that money until this money makes more than my job, right? So you're earning two incomes at that time, at that point. But I would say at the barest minimum, at the barest minimum, you need to be prepared to cover four months of your bills plus another two months of emergency because if you break your leg and you don't have insurance, guess what? That's two months of your bills to get that fixed, um, at least here in America. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I'd say I say four months at a minimum, but for me, I'm going to do a year. And let's say somebody actually achieves that. And I'm pretty sure people have throughout history where they have their first job and then now their hobby, which is making an income, actually matches their salary. And then, but they may not have enough savings. They don't have a year of savings. Let's say they only have like three months of savings, but they're still matched up in their salary. Would you still say, you know what? Save a little bit more before letting go of that first job. 
Absolutely. Stack that cash, man. I mean, I'll be honest with you. If you look at people that are really good with money, they have more money coming in than they do going out, right? So if you get into a position where you've got more money coming in than you do going out, uh, it's, it's, it's time to start stacking that cash. Even Walter White from, um, from Breaking Bad, right? He had a garage thing and it was just money. <laughs> it was just, it was like a, like a, like a, a store your stuff for a month kind of place. And he just had a stack of cash. Basically, if you want to do your thing, your, your side hustle, your, your purpose, your job venture, your new thing, you need to make sure that your, your base is solid. Your foundation needs to be strong because without a strong foundation to stand on, everything else falls down. That's why they don't build houses on sand, period, because it just never works. So you can't, you can't play with your finances like that. There, there are things you can do to, to take that side hustle money that you're making and flip that and turn that into more money, right? Rich people don't work for money. Rich people's money works for them, right? They use their money as a tool. So if you stop looking at this income as this is my life, this is how I survive, and you swap it over to this is a tool, I use this tool to help keep me alive, but it's also a tool for other things, right? Not just getting a, a, a new sweater or a great pair of sneakers or buying a new car, whatever it is that people splurge on. It's, it's a tool for progress and growth. And at a certain point, you're going to be able to, if you're doing it wisely and you're investing properly, you're going to be able to stop working and start letting your money do the work. Um, but you got to get there and you can't get there with a, with a sandy foundation. You have to build a strong foundation. Four months at the minimum, 10 months on top. I mean, a, a year is what I would do. And if my income is here matching up with my, uh, my side hustle, my side hustle needs to make more than my income. And it needs to be enough money that I'm guaranteed that if I fall on my face, I'm good for a year. And go ahead and share with us that cautionary tale about insurance. Sure. So uh, insurance in the United States of America is a very, very, very powerful thing because we don't know what is going to happen to us. Let me give you a quick example. I'm a 45-year-old man. I'm in shape. You can see an image of me, but your listeners cannot. I, I'm, I'm in pretty good shape. Uh, I was an athlete for, geez, better part of 35 years of my life. Uh, and I thought I was good to go. And then I found out that I had an extra leaf in my aortic valve. I had an enlarged heart. I had SVT, VT, AFib, and A flutter. I have had four heart procedures in the past five years. I also suffer from, um, from vasovagal, which is the stuff where people see blood and they pass out. Mine, I, I have no problems with blood, but all of a sudden my, my legs will go, hey, we need all the blood down here. And my brain flips out. Anyway, that having been said, you never know what is going to happen. So having insurance in America is very important. If you don't have a job with insurance, go get it. If you don't, you do what you can get your insurance because you don't know what's going to happen. Having my heart go south on me really scared the sh out of me. It scared the crap out of my wife. It scared the crap out of me. It scared the crap out of my daughter. It scared the crap out of my wife's family uh, because here we were, we were working really, really hard and making fantastic steps moving forward, building that solid foundation. And then all of a sudden the universe says, <laughs> watch this, 
right? And then it smacks me upside the chest and we have issues and we're still dealing with them, but not as bad now. We've kind of got them under wraps, but that cautionary tale of having insurance is about being prepared. You don't know what life is going to do to you. Life can really kick you in the backside when you least expect it. And if you've never had an accident, if you've never fallen down, if you've never lost a car or had someone steal it or lost your savings or lost your wallet and somebody spent all your money, if you've never had one of those things happen, just wait, just wait, it's coming. So better to be prepared. Financially prepared will solve a lot of problems. And having insurance to cover you because you are the most important vessel (laughs) for you. Without you, there is no you. Making sure that you have insurance, making sure that you're financially stable. Those are the two most important things as far as advice that I can give to anyone. Definitely. That's actually one of the things that people have to look at when making a jump. Because when you jump, you're not just leaving behind a salary and and all that, you're actually leaving behind your insurance. So you're going to have to pay out of pocket for medical insurance if you go at this alone. And and it's definitely one of those things that you really have to look at when deciding, you know what, I'm done with my nine to five, but are you really done with your insurance? You have to, you have to, <laughs> and, and thank you for bringing that up. That's very important for anybody that does want to jump uh, to, to take a double look at. Yeah. I mean, Medicare is a thing. It's, it's getting better. It's not the greatest system in the world, but it is getting better. But I'll be honest with you. I would pit my private insurance against Medicare any day of the week. And that's, that's not a political statement. That's just because I got a buddy of mine who's on Medicare and I know that his Medicare wouldn't cover the crap that I've been through. You know, I mean, each one of those heart procedures were 180 grand, 180 grand before my, my insurance got a hold of it. So, I mean, my, my, my portion of it was much more affordable and manageable, but still, even still, I, I don't know many people that got 180 grand to throw on a single procedure, <laughs> you know? The fact that hospitals can bill patients that amount is mind boggling, especially in a first world country. It is. It's, 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 it's a messed up system. That's a, that's definitely a conversation for another day. Cause we could go on for hours about that one. <laughs> Brian, I want to thank you for coming on to my podcast. I really appreciate it. Go ahead and tell listeners where they can find you and some of your products. Sure. So um, obviously my links are going to be down in the show notes of this episode, but um, you can find me in a number of different places. You can always find me at briansdailygrind.com. That's B-R-I-A-N-S dailygrind.com. If you want to see a little bit of a, a brief overlook at what I do, I have a solo.to page. Um, you can go to solo.to slash Grind. The story that I am currently putting out in fiction form, that's called The Most Amazing Story Ever. And if you just Google that, I'm, I'm like the top five billings. It's a story that comes out once a week in episode format. Uh, it is a long story with multiple side stories that are connected to it. Uh, so you can always just Google the most amazing story ever. Uh, my photography is done through a, a, a website called Snaps and Clicks. 
So snapsandclicks.com, that's the name of our business. I have another partner that works with me and we do a lot of photography. And I mean, a lot of photography. Uh, we do everything from street photography to wildlife to portraiture. Uh, and it's not that we're dabbling in many different things. We're just good at those things. And so we put those services out there. And that's that's pretty much the, the full wrap up of me. Obviously you can find me on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Uh, and I'm sure those links will be down in the show notes, but yeah, that's pretty much me. You said you're an author. What's the name of, do you like have an overall book title? Uh, yeah. So it's the most amazing story ever, right? But uh, they're split up into gospels so they can find the gospel of Sam and the gospel of Muriel and the gospel of Sam too, and the gospel of Jill. So those things are all out there. The gospel of Jill won't hit shelves for another two weeks, <laughs> okay. uh, but yeah. Yeah. Brian, any last words for the audience? Yes. Um, you are how the universe experiences itself. What happens to you is just a catalyst. It is what you do with that experience that defines the quality of your life. Brian, again, I want to thank you for coming on to my podcast. I really, really appreciate it, sir. Awesome. Thanks for having me. This has been Confessions of a Polymath with Brian Taylor. All right. Until next time. Bye. Bye.